praise the Lord. <laughs> if, if that's any of you today, I want you to know I understand. I've wrestled with each of those obstacles in my own life, but my prayer for you today is that you will leave here today with a renewed commitment, a, a renewed desire, really, to read your Bible. I'm having a hard time lowering my voice now, so <laughs> if I start yelling, that's why. Because this isn't just another book. This really is the living, breathing Word of God, and it has the answers to all of life's questions. When you're going through issues in your marriage, this has the answers. When you're dealing with things with your kids, this has the answers. When you're battling anxiety or depression or you're grieving the loss of a loved one or you're having issues at work or with your finances, this has the answers. Okay, so let's talk about the Bible. Okay, let's, let's back up and start at the beginning. What is the Bible and can it be trusted? So the Bible, we believe, is the inspired word of God and that it was given to and written by, about, by 40 different authors about 1,600 years ago, or over the period of about 1,600 years. It's split into two major sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is uh, basically the history of Israel and God's covenant with the people before Christ came into the world. The New Testament is about the life of Christ and the history of the church, but it's really about God's covenant with the people after Christ came into the world. Now, the authors of the Bible were everything from kings and princes to poets and philosophers to prophets and statesmen. Some of them were educated, many were not. But, and while there are 66 different books in this Bible, the whole, there is really only one book. And the theme of the Bible throughout the, throughout the entire thing remains the same. And it's that salvation comes from Jesus. You see, the Bible at its core is really the story of Jesus. But is it true? And this is one of the major arguments, right? Is it true? Because if it's not true, why would we do anything it says? And why would we even be sitting here this morning if, it, if it's not true? Now, there's a lot of information on this subject. There are entire classes, college classes dedicated to this subject. There are books written about it. So I'm not going to pretend like I can cover that here in the next 20 to 25 minutes. Especially because even with all of the information that's out there, even if you were to go out and take every college class that there was, even if you were to read every book that there was, listen to every sermon, talk to every historian, ultimately, believing in this is going to require some faith on your part. But I'm going to share with you this morning one of the major reasons why I believe it to be true. Jesus. Okay, so let's move on. I'm just kidding. Some of you got that. You guys are like, that's not an answer, right? But, so let me tell you why I believe Jesus is enough to believe in the rest of the Bible. This is the reason why. We have sufficient evidence, even from non-Christian historians, that Jesus was a real person. That he was born at the time the Bible says, that he was executed by the Roman government, and a, and a good amount of evidence that he resurrected from the dead. This is how the Encyclopedia Britannica, which is a non-Christian publication, uh, sums up the evidence of Jesus. They say, these independent accounts prove that in ancient times, even the opponents of Christianity never doubted the historicity of Jesus. Jesus was a real person, okay? So if he was a real person, the question then becomes, was Jesus who he said he was? Okay, because either Jesus was who he said he was, either he was the Messiah, he was the Son of God, he was the Savior of the world, he was God incarnate, or he was completely insane, and there is no in between. You, he can't just be a good teacher. 
He can't just be another prophet. He can't just be a good moral leader. You can't believe some of the things he said without believing everything he said. Because he said some far out stuff if he wasn't the son of God. So either you believe him or you don't. Here's why I believe we should believe him. Here I have a list of 15 of the most important prophecies that can be found in the Old Testament regarding the Messiah. So to back up a little bit, for hundreds of years before Christ was born, the prophets of the Old Testament foretold about a coming Messiah, somebody who would come in and save the people of Israel. And so a number of years ago, the mathematician Peter Stoner calculated the odds of one person fulfilling just eight of these prophecies. And he concluded that the probability of one person fulfilling eight of these was one in 100 quadrillion. To give you an idea, here I have a half dollar. Now, if we were to take 100 quadrillion half dollars and lay them over the state of Texas, it would cover the entire state two feet deep. So now imagine that we took one of these half dollars and we drew an X on it and placed it somewhere in the state of Texas in that two feet. And then we took somebody, blindfolded them, placed them in the middle of the state and walk as far as you want in any direction and whenever you're ready, bend down and pick one up that person would have the same odds of picking up the marked half dollar as of one person fulfilling eight of these prophecies. So to put it another way in terms that we might be able to better understand, the odds of winning the Powerball are about one in 292 million. I know we're all praying like, come on Lord, right? <laughs> the odds of winning the Mega Millions are about one in 302 million. The odds of winning both in the same week are about one in 88 quadrillion. So you would have better odds of winning both the Powerball and Mega Millions in the same week as one person fulfilling eight of these prophecies. But here's the thing, Jesus didn't just fulfill eight, and he didn't fulfill just these 15. He actually fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. So to try and put that in perspective, the same mathematician who calculated these odds calculated the odds of one person fulfilling 48 prophecies, right? So a little bit more than eight, but uh, still a lot less than 300. This is that number. One in 10 unquinquagintillion. I don't know if I said that right, neither do you, it doesn't matter. It's a, it's a one followed by 158 zeros. So let me take this a step further. Scientists estimate that the number of atoms on Earth is a one followed by 50 zeros. Significantly less and that's just 48 prophecies. The mathematician stated, the first calculation was amazing enough for me. So the probability of one man fulfilling over 300 must be a number beyond comprehension. Can you imagine how many zeros it would be to fulfill 300 prophecies? So I hope this is making sense. The point being, there is no way that Jesus could have just happened to fulfill these prophecies unless it was planned. God planned it. And so... What did Jesus say about the Bible? Right after Jesus was baptized, before he started his ministry, he went out to the wilderness to be tempted, and he quoted directly from the Old Testament. He said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He said, you can't survive on only food. You need this. You need the word of God. And Jesus practiced this over and over during his ministry. He quoted from and referred to and lived a perfect life scripture. So if Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, God incarnate, the Savior of the world, the sacrificial lamb who came and died for us, 
who fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies, believed in the Bible? I'm going to go ahead and believe you. Is that fair? So is the Bible true? Is it reliable? I personally believe it is. But maybe today you're struggling with one of those other obstacles. Maybe, maybe you just don't know where to start, or maybe you've, maybe you've tried reading your Bible, but you just didn't understand what you were reading, or maybe you felt like you just don't have time. And let me tell you, this is, this is one of the major hang-ups. Like, I get it. And, you know, people look at this, and they're like, that's a lot of words, right? <laughs> that's a lot of words. And there, there's no pictures and the last book I read was in the 10th grade, and really I didn't even read that. I just read the chapter titles and then copied off my friend, right? <laughs> and, you, and you look at this, and it can feel intimidating, right? And like, maybe you're like, I want to read it, but wow, I just don't have time. Like, I, I wake up, I shower, I get dressed, I wake my kids up, I get them dressed, I brush my teeth, I brush their teeth. Not always in that order. I make breakfast, I pack backpacks, and we just barely get out the door on time for school, all while trying not to lose my cool or scream at them because they decided today they want runny yolk in their eggs instead of hard yolk. And, and then I get to work, where of course I work all day, right? Uh, and then I leave work and I pick up the kids, and maybe I take them to soccer practice or swimming or dance or whatever, and then, I, and then we get home and I make dinner, eat dinner, give the kids a bath, play for a few minutes, read a story, and put them to bed, all while still trying to find a little bit of time for my spouse. Does that sound like any of your lives? But maybe, even despite all that, I heard one yes, thank you, it's not just me. Maybe even despite all that, you push through. Because you know reading your Bible is important, so you push through, but you didn't really know where to start, so you did kind of one of these, and you just opened it up and you said, okay, God, speak to me. But what you landed on was, I'm filled with fury against you, declares the Lord. Wow, that's kind of intense. You do all of these things, acting like a brazen prostitute. Hey, you know, that's not very nice. You know what? God seems kind of angry. Let me skip to the end and see if it gets any better. Let's see. Uh, oh, to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Oh, that's better. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. You know what? Do you see what's wrong with that? Would, we, would you ever pick up another book and flip to the middle and expect to have any idea of what's going on? Of course not, right? Because you need context to understand the story. You need context to understand what's going on. But unfortunately, that's what many of us do when it comes to the Bible. And so what we end up doing is we think, well, I'll just go to church, right? And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You should go to church, right? But there, are, there is a limited amount that we can cover in 30 minutes here. Or maybe you think, well, I listen to Christian radio too, so I go to church and I listen to Christian radio, I think I've got it covered. But see, the thing that happens when we do that is our knowledge, our understanding of the Bible, it becomes like these pearls. And these pearls represent the, the main principles, the main characters. They represent the stories that we learned in Sunday school. So, so here you've got... David and Goliath, and maybe you've got uh, Moses parting the Red Sea, and you know, you've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We talk about those guys all the time. They're pretty cool. Um, you know, you've got uh, Jonah and the whale, which is really Jonah and big fish, but you would know that if you read your Bible. Sorry, that, that came out worse than... <laughs> it is. Maybe you've got Daniel and the lion's den. That's a, I love that story. Uh, and, you know, we all go to church on Christmas and Easter, right? So, of course, we've got Jesus' birth and death and resurrection. And these are all great stories. 
And you should know these stories. But the problem is, when we only have these stories, and we don't know the, we don't know the rest of the stories, we have nothing that holds them together. And the stories become scattered. Our knowledge of the Bible becomes scattered. But when we read our Bible, we not only learn those stories, but we learn how they relate to each other. We learn where they happened and how they fit into the history of the Bible. We learn why they were so important, why they were so significant. And then we also learn about all of the other people and the other stories that don't get talked about every Sunday morning. And what happens is we start to see how this all ties together and how it all points back to Jesus. And when we read our Bible, we discover the context that ties it all together and holds it all together. So there are many reasons why I would encourage you to read the Bible. But the first one is so that you can learn so in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is just about to take over leadership of the nation of Israel. Moses has passed away, so Joshua is about to be the new leader of Israel. And this is what God tells him. He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it, day and night. He, said, he tells Joshua, you need to learn this. You need to learn it so thoroughly that it's the foremost thing in your life, that it's central to everything you do, that every response that you have to people is always on your lips, and it comes directly from this. Now listen, I'm not saying that you have to start by opening your Bible to Genesis chapter 1 and reading cover to cover. Okay, that's one way to do it. Personally, that's never worked for me. Like, I've read the whole Bible, but I've never read it cover to cover like that, because, I don't know, I get distracted, I have ADD or something, I don't know. Something happens, but I never do that. But what I am saying, and what I would encourage you to do, if you truly want to learn the Bible, is you need to have a plan. Because you know what happens when you don't have a plan? I think Benjamin Franklin said it best. He said, if you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. And I can tell you from first-hand experience, without a plan, chances are you will fail. And so I'll tell you something this morning. This is something that I used to struggle with. I used to struggle to read the Bible regularly. And that's embarrassing to admit to. Right? As a pastor, you would think if there's one thing that we shouldn't struggle with, it would be reading our Bibles. But that's not always the case. And, and now I can look back and I can see why. You see, I am a very structured person. I'm, I like lists. I like, I like completing tasks. I like organization. But for some reason, when it came to reading my Bible, I always just assumed that it would get done. I just assumed that inspiration would strike, that I would be like, oh, God, yes, speak to me, Lord. But that never happened. So several years ago, God finally got through to me. And it took him a while because I'm a slow learner. But he got through to me. He said, you need to put this on your schedule just like any other task that needs to be completed. Not that it's the same level as those tasks, but you need to have a schedule. In other words, I had to have a plan. So I... I had to create this system of when I'm going to read the Bible, of how much I'm going to read, and what I was going to read. And so I decided I'm going to start waking up at 5.45 in the morning. That was early for me. I know some of you, that's, you're like, 5.45. Man, you sleep in. <laughs> that was early for me, okay? But so I, I decided I'm going to wake up at 5.45 because I knew that if I waited until anybody else in my house was awake, it wasn't going to get done. Okay, I've got a six-year-old daughter. She gives me no space. I wasn't going to get done if she was awake. 
And so I, I, it's 5.45 and I decided I'm going to stop trying to read as much as possible. So I read a lot of other books, but, but I'm one of those, like, I'm just trying to get through it. I had to stop doing that with this. And so I decided I'm going to slow way down and I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to try to read one chapter a day. Just one. I can do one. And then I'm going to spend a few minutes writing about what I read. And, and I actually, I, I use a system, when I'm writing about it, I use a system called the SOAP method. Uh, I'm not going to get into it today, but if you want to see how that works, you can go to the Bible reading page on our website. It explains it in detail how to do that. But so, so now I know when, now I know how much, where am I going to start? And for me, like I've, I've read the whole Bible, so I had a pretty good idea of, of what I was going to be getting into. So I decided I'm going to start with the Psalms because there's 150 chapters and at one chapter a day, 150 days at least, that'll be enough time to develop the habit to get into before I have to pick somewhere else to go. Okay, so that was my plan. I had my plan. And you know what? It worked. I've read my Bible more consistently over the past few years than at any other time in my walk with Christ. But that's not to say that my plan, my way, is the right way. There isn't a right way. But I would encourage you, if you want to learn the Bible, you have to have a plan of when and what you're going to read. And if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, okay, that's great, but I have no idea where to start. That's okay. This is what I would tell you to do. Tell you to take out your smartphone, I know you all have one, and scan this QR code. It's gonna take you to an app called the Bible app. It's completely free, there's no, like, there's no ads or anything on it, it's completely free. But there you can join our plan where together as a church, we're reading through the New Testament. And the thing I love about this plan is it only takes about five minutes to read. Okay? I know that you can find five minutes somewhere. I'm not going to be specific on where, but you can find five minutes somewhere. But I also love it because there's a place where you can share and make comments and, and share about what you feel like God was saying to you through the scriptures. Or you can just be like most of the other people on the plan and just spy on what everybody else is sharing. Right? Like, there's like three of us that comment and then the other 70, just, just, they just spy. It's all right. We're glad you're here. <laughs> but here's the thing. Even if you don't join this plan, I would, t I would still tell you to start with the Bible app because this is one of the most incredible resources that we have at our disposal today. It's got thousands and thousands and thousands of Bible reading plans on every different topic and subject that you can think of. You want to you learn what the Bible says about marriage? It's got plans for that. You want to learn about what it says about education? It's got plans for that. And kids, finances giving, anything. It's got plans for that. And so, find one right for you. Because more than anything, this eliminates the hurdle of, I don't know where to start. It has everything that you need to make a plan so that you can learn the Bible in a way that makes sense to you. Okay, but I'll be honest with you. This is actually the easy part of this. The second reason I think that we need to read the Bible is so that we can live it. After, Joshua tells, after God tells Joshua to keep this book of the law always on your lips, to meditate on it day and night, he goes on to say, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And if you read the Bible, this is a reoccurring theme throughout it. Jesus himself said it this way. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So I told you at the beginning, the Bible is full of answers to life's questions, right? But it's not enough to just know what it says. 
we have to put it into practice if we want it to work for us. And so many of you know that at the beginning of December, I ran my first marathon. And I know that none of you are surprised that I'm bringing it up, right? <laughs> you saw that I was preaching, you knew that you were going to hear about the marathon, right? Of course. <laughs> Get used to it. I'm going to keep bringing it up. <laughs> I'm not going to pass up that chance. But no, so in December, I ran my first marathon. But the marathon, the race itself, was really just the culmination. It was the fulfillment of months and months of training. It was the achievement that was earned by going out day after day after day and putting in the work to get to that point. But imagine for a minute, if you will, when I decided, you know what, I'm going I'm to run a marathon. Imagine if I would have gone out and I would have bought this book. And instead of going out and running several times a day, I would have just sat down and, and read this book. How do you think that would have turned out? I can show you how it would have turned out. That would have been me. Like, I'd probably still be lying on the street somewhere in San Antonio, right? That's what would have happened. Okay, but, okay, but hear me out, hear me out. What if I would have read it like over and over and over again? Like, like what, if I was, what if I was reading it, I was, I was highlighting the important sections, and, and what if I was making notes in the margins of all the important information, and what if, what if I formed a book club and we sat in and, and every week we read it together and discussed how it could make us better runners? What if... I got to the marathon, and the pages of my book were so worn they were falling out. You think it would have made a difference if I hadn't gone out and run? Maybe a little, right? But probably not much. That's probably still what, I, what, what would have happened. But we can do that with our Bibles sometimes. Right? We can read it, we can study it, we can discuss it, we can sing songs about it. But if we never let it alter the way that we live our lives... Is it really making a difference? Jesus' brother James wrote this. He said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. He says, if you just hear it, if you just read it, but you aren't changed by it, you're deceiving yourself. You're living a lie. He said, you have to live it. And he goes on to say, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You need to learn your Bible because you need to know what it says, right? In order to do it, you need to know what it says. But if you stop there, if you stop with just reading it, just hearing it, you're going to be missing out on the blessings that come from actually walking it out, actually living it. So let's finish with what God told Joshua. After he tells him to do everything written in it, he finishes with this. He says, then you will be prosperous and successful. God gives Joshua this if-then scenario. He says, as you're taking over this nation, I want you to do this. And if you will do this, if you will read your Bible, if you'll study it, if you'll learn it, and, and you'll do what it says, then, and only then, you will be prosperous and successful. My hope for you today is that if you don't already have one, that you would develop a plan to read your Bible. Because this has the answers 
I don't have the answers. You know what I get everything that I say up here from? It's this. This has the answers. I hope that you will develop a plan to read your Bible so that you can learn it. But even more so, more so than that, that you will take what you learn and that you will apply it to your life. Because that, that's the mark of somebody who has truly been changed. Let's pray. Father, we... God, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for, for all you've done in our lives. God, I, this morning, I thank you for your word. God, your word truly changes lives. Thank you for, for your word, for this guide, for, 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 these, for the stories, for the history for the information. God, thank you that we have this incredible way that you can speak to us. Father, I pray for each person here that we would learn to fall in love with this book. God, that like David, we would, that we would hide this in our hearts. Father, we, we thank you for all that you do, God, and we, we just continue to ask that you would make us more like you. Change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you stand as we sing this last chorus? How great is our God? Sing with me. How great is our God? No, we'll see how great, how great is our God. Lift your voice and sing. How great, how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. And all see how great, how great is our God. If you believe what Ben said, that Jesus is who he says he is, that the Bible is true, then the next step would be to ask him into your life as your Lord and Savior. And we want to give you an opportunity to do just that right now. It's a simple, easy prayer. There's nothing special behind the words. It's your heart behind it that matters. And we don't want to embarrass anybody. We don't want to call you out or make you come up front. So I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes, bow your head, and repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that you sent him to die on a cross for my sins. God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that I need you. Come into my heart and be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The whole reason Mosaic exists is to connect people to God and help them grow in their faith. So if you said that prayer for the first time today, we're so excited for you, and welcome to the family. If you want to scan the QR code and select New Believer, we have just a little something we want to send you to help you along on your journey. Uh, if you said that for the hundredth time, welcome back. You can go ahead and scan that as well. If it's your first time here, like Ben said, we're so glad you're here. It was really awesome to hear everyone's voices without the mics, without the music, 
behind us. And so if this is your first time, I feel like it was a really special time for you to be here. So if you want to go ahead and also scan that, uh, click first time visitor, we have a gift for you. We just want to know that you are here. Uh, if technology is not your thing, we get it. I live with my mother-in-law. Uh, out in the foyer, there's little cards at the Welcome Center, and you can go ahead and fill one of those out. If you guys want to have a seat, I have just a couple quick examples. Um, so this Friday night at 7 o'clock in the East Sanctuary, we're going to have a uh, worship night. So if you're anything like me, worship is your favorite part of the service. No offense to Ben and Angel. But I love just being together and worshiping. And this is going to be similar but different. It's going to just be um, an easy, no agenda, just time for us to come together and worship together. Um, these are one of my most favorite things that we do here as a church. Um, so we invite you to come to that. Also, uh, we have connect groups coming up. So if you're new here, we believe that the real magic happens and the real relationships are formed in circles, not in rows. So if you uh, are a crocheter, you can host a connect group. Uh, if you like uh, synchronized swimming, you can host a connect group. We've done everything from kids' dance classes to women's Bible studies, craft nights, MMA groups, anything. If you love it, chances are somebody else here is going to love it too. It doesn't have to be hard. All you got to do is throw some chips in the back. It's really easy. Uh, so if you're interested in that, next Saturday morning, January 28th, at 9 a.m., we're going to host a training for Connect Group leaders, and you can sign up in the foyer on your way out for that today. So now we're going to go ahead and finish our service with our giving. Um, I love this part of the service because I love being a part of a generous church. Um, we're a part of a group called the ARC, the Association for Related Churches, um, and what we do is help plant new churches. And last week, eight couples, eight husband and wife couples, had their very first Sunday service at their very first church. And we were a part of that because of what happens right now. So we ask that you just remain faithful in your giving, remain faithful to what God has called you to do. And help us lock arms together so that we can make a financial difference, not only here in northern Colorado, but all over the world. So if you guys would please bow your heads and pray with me. Dear God, thank you for this generous church, Lord. Thank you for the hearts of Mosaic who want to give to grow your kingdom, Lord. People who want to serve you, Lord, not just by their time, but also financially. Uh, Lord, we pray for this offering, God, that you would multiply it that we would see miracles happen all over the world just because of what we're doing here in our little church in Greeley, Colorado. God, I pray that as everyone leaves this morning, that there would be health, their health would be stable, God, that they would have safety in their families, Lord. I pray for their finances, God, that you would just multiply it beyond belief, Lord. Thank you for, for being a loving, 